this week's Parashat Toldot um, has really at its um, at its core the tussle between two boys. It starts as a tussle in the womb, then it's a uh, division of labor, but it turns into a tussle for uh, the rights of primogenitor, what we call the Bechora. And then, of course, the famous scene, which occupies uh, about half the parasha, is um, is the what we again call the theft of the brachot. And the theft of the brachot itself is an is a, a strange scene. Um, and I'll mention a, a core topic in studying this, which we're not, which we've done in previous years, which is why does there seem to be only one bracha to give, such that there is a vying for who's going to get that bracha. And uh, and when Asab complains after the deception is revealed, and he says, avi, do you only have one bracha to give? And the answer seems to be yes, which is a little strange. Why is that? And the second piece of that question, which I'm not going to address here, but I just want to put it out there for you to think about, and we have talked about it in previous years, is why does it work? In other words, y- Yaakov got a bracha through deception. So why isn't that just a case of, oops, do-over? You know, that's not the right guy. And as I intended it for X and Y got it, why should it last? And instead, the response is that he gets to keep it. So again, Ayin Sham, we've talked about it in the past. I just want to put it out there. But there's a curious line, which as you see is the title of the shiur, that, um, that Rivka uses in her interactions with Yaakov. Now, another thing to keep in mind when listening to the parsha, when reading through, is... Uh, that that the the full part of the parsha, meaning except for chapter twenty six, which is except for the last two came, which is takes place with Yitzchak and Rivka and Gerar, and uh, and I I believe took place during the twenty years of barrenness, took place before. With the exception of that, it's the four characters are are always involved: Yitzchak, Rivka, Yaakov, and Esau. And the scene is is the scene setting is really interesting. The Parsha starts with Yitzhak and Rivka, and that's it. Then we have Yaakov and Esav, and that's it. And then when we get to our story, we have Yitzhak and Esav, and then Rivka and Yaakov, and then Yaakov and Yitzhak, and then Yitzhak and Esav, and then Yaakov and Rivka, Rivka and Yitzhak, Yitzhak and Yaakov. It's this very weird thing where there seems to be only two people in the room at the time when everything's happening, and rarely one. And never three. It's just an interesting thing. And all the possible different pairings that happen take place in this parasha. Okay. Now, it, it becomes obvious at the beginning of our story. Our story starts at the beginning of chapter 27. And we're going to read it through so we get a flavor of what's going on. So Yitzchak got old and, his, and, he, uh, and he, was, he got one blind. Why do you go blind? Simple explanation, like the Rosh Palm says, because it was old, right? We find it with Eli, we find it with others. Now, that's a little bit odd. He summons Esav, his eldest son. We already know Esav's his eldest son. Why does it add that? Bini is a term of endearment, a term of affection. And Esav answers, which is a beautiful Avram Yitzchak thing. You know, Avram to God, Avram to Yitzchak. Now, Esav to Yitzchak. Later, it's going to be Yitzchak to one of his sons. Which means, 
Yitzchak anticipates that he's going to die soon, and he doesn't know when, and he wants to put his affairs in order. So take your tools, seems to be your bows and arrows, or your quiver and your bow. Go to the field and hunt for me. Now, parenthetically, um, what time of day is this happening? So we have no idea, but I'm going to guess it's fairly early in the morning because we'll see later on in the story that Yitzhak is surprised when the sun comes back relatively quickly with the food. And remember, the food also has to go through a whole preparation process. And so it, it's very possible that, that uh, what typically would happen is that Esau would go off hunting in the morning, and by the end of the day, or later in the day, he would come back with a game, and then it would be prepared, as Rufka knows how to prepare it very nicely, for Yitzchak, and then he'd have dinner, right? So very likely it's happening in the morning. I don't know, but it's possible. In any case, it says, Prepare sweet things the way I like them, and bring them to me so that I'll eat. So that I can bless you before I die. Now, why is uh, Yitzchak being fed a necessary preconditioning to the bracha is itself a parsha, um, which ties in with the previous thing that I spoke about. And again, we've spoken about it in previous years, but I want to point it out. So Rivka was overhearing. Exit stage, Esav's gone. Right? Who enters? Now, Yaakov. So now it's Rivka and Yaakov. And she says, again, Yaakov Bina. Again, her son, we know Yaakov is. I heard your father speak to Esav, your brother, saying. And again, there seems to be extra words here. We know that Yaakov is her son. We know that Esav is his brother. He knows Esav is his brother. Why is she saying that? And what seems to be happening is the text seems to be stressing, and the players in their words seem to be stressing the family ties here, which, if you think about it, are at stake in the story. They're at stake no matter how the story plays out. If Esau is successful in getting the game and coming and getting the bracha, that will mean one thing for Rivka and for Yaakov and for Yitzchak. And if it doesn't play out that way, it will mean a different thing. But all of this, Bni, Achicha, all of these are at stake in the story. And how they'll end up at the end of the story depends on what happens. All right. So now, she says that I heard him say, right, So bring me a game and make it sweet and I'll eat and I'll bless you before Hashem. She has those words in, before I die. And now she says, you listen to me. Now, by the way, notice the parallel. Yitzchak Told a gave Esav an order. Now Rivka said, "That's the order father gave brother. I'm giving you a different order, a parallel order, which is Go to the flock. Go get me two good goats." Now, by the way, why is that easy for Yaakov? Because Yaakov is the shepherd in the family. It's the And I'll make them sweet for your father the way he likes. Now. A parenthetic note, which again is not part of the core here, but it's just something that maybe should shift our thinking. We are accustomed to thinking about the teaming up in this family as being Yitzchak and Esav versus Rivka and Yaakov. And perhaps you might think, well, Yitzchak, of course, loves, loves Yaakov too. And maybe Yitzchak recognizes Yaakov's greatness, etc. 
but we certainly think about Rivka as being antipathetical towards uh, Asav. It looks like she's trying to harm him. She doesn't like him, etc. It's not so clear because if you think about what she, what she just said, I will prepare matamim the way your father likes them. How does she know how, how Yitzchak likes them? It seems that when Esav comes home from the hunt, who does he give the food to? He gives them to Rivka, and Rivka prepares it, and she knows how, how Yitzchak likes it. So she's the one who's able to prepare it, which means that Esav and Rivka do have some sort of a convivial relationship. He brings the game to her, and she prepares it, and then Esav brings it in, and it's Esav gets the credit for it. It's all very nice. And Rivka's comfortable with that. We see this a little later on. We'll see it in, um, in, in a couple of Sukim. Another indicator that Ace and Rivka actually have an okay relationship, which is actually going to be important for what we're going to say in this year. Now, um, you'll bring this food to your father and he'll eat. So he'll bless you before he dies. Now, at this point, there is no hint of any deception going on. Basically, what's happened is, if I'm going to read at this point, Rivka heard Yitzchak say, I think I'm going to die. I want to give you a bracha. Go bring me some good food so I can give you a bracha. And so she says to Yaakov, I want you to get a bracha too. Go bring me some food. I'll make it. You'll go and you'll get your bracha. Which means in this scenario, Yaakov will walk in with the food and say, hi, I'm Yaakov. I've got some food for you. Please give me a bracha. There is no hint here, whatever, in any of their words that there's supposed to be deception going on. Who's the first person to bring the deception up explicitly? It's actually Yaakov. By Yomer Yaakov Rivka Imo. So he says to Rivka, again, Imo, again, the stress on the relationships, which are all going to be hurt as a result of this story. Now notice, Yaakov assumes a deception. And then raises the practical problem of, I will get caught because I don't have the same body as Esav. He's hairy and I'm smooth. Perhaps father will feel me. And why would he do that? Because he's giving me a bracha. I don't know about you guys. When I give brachot to my kids, if it's not over the phone, if they're here, I put my hand on their head. I hug them. I give them a kiss. I hug them after the bracha. Shabbat shalom. I don't just yell it from a distance. So, perhaps father will feel me. And then I will be in his eyes like a misleader, like a deceiver. So, in other words, Yaakov now assumes that Rifko wants him to come in and say, I'm Asaph. And father will catch me because he'll feel that I don't feel like Asaph. Right? And then what does he say? What will I end up bringing on myself? I'll bring on myself a curse instead of a blessing. In other words, what's Yaakov imagining will happen? He's imagining he'll walk in with the meat. He'll present himself as Esav. Yitzchak will embrace him and realize he's not Esav. And he'll curse him. And he won't get the blessing, but instead he'll get a curse. All right? By the way, notice that Yaakov here, if he assumes deception, is not at all bothered by the ethical angle of the deception, but by the practical implications of the deception. What does Rivka answer? And as you can see, that's the title of this year, and that's also, I put those words in red, because that's going to be the 
core piece we got to figure out. What does she say? How would you literally translate those words? How would you just literally translate? She'll take the responsibility. What? She'll take the responsibility. I'll take the responsibility. The curse is on me. Which seems to say, like Abe says, that whatever the uh, implications of that curse are, I'll take responsibility for them or to fix them. Right? But listen to what I'm telling you and go take it, which means now Rifka either is now buying into the idea of the deception or else she's saying, yeah, that's what I meant. And she doesn't say, no, 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 you're going to walk in and say you're Yaakov. You're not playing any game. She doesn't say that. So the deception now is in full bloom. That's going to go. And then Yaakov accepts her saying, I like Hilat Kabani. He doesn't say to her, well, mom, how are you going to do that? She says, I like and that's enough for him because the next thing that happens is he goes and he gets the food, the, 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 the lambs, he brings it to the mother, she pairs it, just the way Yitzhak likes it, very sweet, whatever, cumin, curry, whatever she pairs, right? Garlic sauce, she pairs for him. Now, Rabbi, can I interrupt one second? Sure. sure. Yeah, so um, uh, Yaakov obviously feels the need to. Um, not go in and uh, deliver the food and ask for the bracha for himself, as himself, right. because right. he needs to uh, pretend he's Esau. Right. Why is that? Well, very good. So that comes down to what that other shear was about, but I'll just briefly outline it. It seems that the bracha that we're talking about in this ca- case is not the bracha that you give your kids Friday night. It is the bracha that belongs to, it's basically passing over the estate to the heir who's going to take over the estate. And the heir who's going to take over the estate is the one who's best, most capable of doing it, which seems to be Esau. He's the best provider. Now, when Yaakov had every reason to believe at this point, maybe, that when it came time for Yitzchak to die, he would call Yaakov in and say, I understand that you purchased the Bechorah, so I have to give you a bracha. When, when Yaakov hears that Rivka said, oh, Yitzchak said to Esav, go get the food so I can give you a bracha before I die. What does Yaakov now realize? Yitzchak doesn't know about the sale. I'm not going to walk in on my dying father, I think he's dying, and say, guess what? I bought the Bechorah. And so therefore, it, it becomes, and then Rivka, of course, realized that, so the deception now is, like I said, is in full, is in full flower, Right? So now Rivka still wants to solve the problem because she doesn't want to curse. Whatever that uh, the curse is on me, whatever that is, she doesn't want it. So she says, So she takes Esav's fancy clothes that are with her in the house, which means, by the way, another sign. Esav, who's married, entrusts his special clothes to his mom, which means Esav trusts Rivka and Esav and Rivka get along in some sense or at least Rivka appears to get along with him. She prepares the food for him to bring to father. She has the special clothes with him. And what she does, she takes the clothes. And then, and she puts them on Yaakov. Now, why his clothes? Because evidently his clothes, two things. Some of the Rishonim suggest, these are the clothes that Esav used when he served father. Ceremonial. Second thing is that these clothes had the smell of the field. Some of the Rishonim suggest, is that even though these were Esau's special clothes that he kept at home, once in a while they went out to the field and they had that field smell, which is an Esau smell, right? And therefore, it's going to give uh, uh, the redolence. By the way, you'll notice that in this scene, 
four out of the five senses play a vital role. And the one sense that doesn't play a role is alluded to, and that's, of course, the sense of sight, because Yitzhak's blind. Yitzhak hears the voice. That's what tips him off that might not be Esau. Yitzhak tastes the food. Yitzhak smells the clothes. And Yitzhak embraces the boy. All five senses are at play, except for vision. And then it's alluded to. So it's an interesting piece about it. So now, what, what else does she do? She takes the pelts of the goats that she killed, and she puts them onto Yaakov's arms. So now he has hairy arms, right? Ish sa'ir. And by the way, what's the mountain in that dome that's associated with Esav? Har sa'ir. There's a lot of play here. Okay, now. She puts it on to her younger son, Yaakov. And again, the emphasis, on his clothes. And she puts the, the, uh, the pelt on his arms and on his neck so that he'll feel hairy. She puts the food into his hands. And now Yitzchak is responding to his son. Just like his father, Avram, responded to him at the Akedah. He said, Avin, he said, Hineni. So here, he walks into uh, to father and says, Avi. And what does Yitzchak answer? Hineni, miata bini. Now, what does miata bini mean? It's sort of an inherent contradiction. So it means one of several things. It either means miata, the way that Naomi says to Ruth, miat, meaning not who are you, but what's your status, meaning obviously you're a sub, but are you ready? Or does it mean, who are you? And Bani is just a term of affection that you might use for anybody. Or does he mean, which son are you? Right? Which, of course, raises the stakes. By Yomer Yaakov Aviv, there's the famous line, Anochi Esav B'chorecha. I'm Esav, your firstborn. Look at the famous Rashi and Choshor there, but, of course, look at the Ibn Ezra and the Radak here differently. Asiti kasher This is, you know, you can't get out of this. He, he says, I did, what, I did what you told me to do. All right. So the Bechor Shor, he says, I did what you've told me to do several times in the past to prepare your food. And it's to try to make it not alive. Right. Um, get up and, and sit at the table or sit where you normally eat and eat from my hunt so that I can, that you can bless me. How do you get here so fast? God, your God, help me quickly get the stuff. All right. And every one of these lines is, is a sheer by itself. Now, this is Yaakov's fear. So he says, come close and I want to embrace you. But why? He doesn't say I want to embrace you because I love you, because I'm giving you a bracha, because you're my favorite son. But I want to see if you're really Esau. In other words, Yaakov's fears are 100% realized and 100% justified. Yitzchak is going to feel him to see if he's really Esau. So Yitzchak feels him. You can't get more from this line. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, but there's already two senses, and the hands are the hands of Esau, which, at, without all the drashot, expresses confusion. Below he wrote, and the text says he did not recognize him. Because his hands were hairy like Esau, and therefore he blessed him. Which, by the way, of course, it could have been some other guy who's got hairy arms who snuck in. 
because he's allowing for the possibility of somebody else. He says, are you really my son Esav? He says, yes. So let me come and eat from the hunt of my son. Notice, not your hunt. So I can give you a bracha. He brings he gives him food, then he brings him wine. Now I want you to come close so I can kiss you. Before it was, I want to see if you're really Esav. Now I'm going to kiss you. Yaakov comes close, embraces, and um, and uh, and he kisses him. And uh, Yitzchak smells the clothes and he blesses him. Look at this field, and again, the smell of the field. All right. So you see the three questions I put out here. Again, thank you, Jason, for suggesting questions. All right. So first of all, notice that Yaakov isn't bothered by the essential deception here. That's a problem by itself. But what's the, what's the curse that he's concerned? He says, I, I'll bring a curse. Would that mean that if he gets the curse, Esau gets the blessing? If he's successful, does Esau, like, is there a curse and a blessing to give here? And the other guy gets the curse? What does he mean by that? Now, the real question I want to answer, I, I want to address is, why does, what does Rivka mean when she says, how like he Now, those three words are so opaque, so difficult, so ambiguous that almost every Parshan has a different take on it. Please take a look. We'll start with Onkelos. Onkelos, who almost always is a straight-up translation here, has to add a comment. She says, What does Onkelos say? She said to him, I was told prophetically that you would never be cursed. Where was she told that? When God said, that the older one will be enslaved to the younger one. So in other words, when she says, what does Oklus do with the phrase? Not the curse is on me. Alai meaning, to me it was said that you won't be cursed, which of course is torturous in the words. It doesn't work in the words very well. The Targum Yerushalmi, right, which is pseudo-Jonathan, it's not Yonatan Menuziel, but you know, why, you know why people call it Targum Yonatan? Because the manuscript said Tav Yod, was Targum Yerushalmi, and some printer thought it was Yonatan, so called it Yonatan. It's not, it's not Yonatan. And then these Targumim are Midrashic Targumim, they're not just translations. Right, which means um, indeed, you are going to be blessed. He won't curse you. If he curses you, it'll come on me, sorry. Meaning, if he blesses you, the blessing's on you. And if he curses you, the curse is on me. All right? But what does she mean by that? We don't get, we don't get any clarification. So let's see. The Midrash Rabbah says the following. When a man, uh, sorry, if a man sins, isn't it his mother who's cursed? What's his proof? And this the, the ecology fans will be very happy about because it refers to earth as mother earth. In other words, when Adam sinned, it said the earth is cursed because of you, right? In other words, the earth is where Adam came from. And since Adam sinned, the earth is cursed because of him. Afata like Hilat Chabani. So what is what is Rivka saying? That really, if you get cursed, I'm cursed. 
What does that mean? Rabbi Yitzchak, Alayli Kanes Fulamar Lavicha Yaakov Tzadik Beisav Rasha. Rabbi Yitzchak takes a different approach, which is what Abe said. He said, if you get cursed, I'll take responsibility. And what does that mean? It's my job to go in and tell your father why this happened, because you're really the right son. Meaning, in this perception, Yitzchak is not only blind, but he's morally blind. Or shall we say, he's, he's family blind. And he doesn't know that Esau's the kind of bad guy he is. And I'll go straight. If, if you get cursed, I'll go straighten him out and he'll fix it. Which means, by the way, Yitzchak's going to then have to call him in and fix the curse. The Rashbam says, Alai kilatcha, alai vi alt savari. It's on me and on my neck. Komar. This is a take on the Targumonklus. In other words, without hurting the words, she says, The curse is on me. I'll take the curse. But why is she saying that? Because she knows there won't be a curse. Because she knows from the prophecy that Yaakov is going to succeed. And therefore, you could say anything you want because it's not going to happen anyways. The Ibn Ezra says, don't be afraid that it'll curse you, like we just saw, but if he curses you, he's going to curse me and not you. What does that mean? Meaning that he's going to curse me because he knows that I'm behind it. Words, he's not going to curse you and I'll take responsibility. Don't worry, he won't curse you. If he gets angry, he'll curse me. That's how women talk. That's what he says. He then quotes Sadia Gaon and says, That's like what Abe said. doesn't mean the curse is on me, but rather I have on me the responsibility to fix it. Fix it. And we'll see several other approaches to this. The Bechor Shor, Yosef Bechor Shor says, If he um, basically disowns you, takes a nether of Hanah, and disowns you, I have a big tuba, and I'll give it all to you. So you'll, you won't be out of money. Meaning, she's saying, what's the, what's the bracha and, and klal here about? Is about inheriting the estate. I'll make sure you get rich. And then I'll get your father to get ready to give it back to you. Besides that, I'm also going to play a trick. If he feels you, he won't know because I'm going to give you these skins. The Radak, we're not done. If he curses you, it won't land on you. Why? You're saying something metaphysical here. Well, the whole thing is metaphysical. If he curses you, it won't land on you, meaning it won't affect you. Why? Because I was the cause of this behavior. It'll actually come back on me. But since you're not sure it's going to happen, go do what I tell you. Go get the lambs. The Datsa Kinim, which is a collection of Ashkenaz, early Ashkenaz approaches, says, Perush loi kalalotcha ki imoti, sherchalang shaladim osin shalokadach mikalina vian vi iman, mim arush zegadel. It's a great statement. He says, Don't worry if he's angry, and this is kind of like, um, kind of like um, the, uh, the Ibn Ezra said, that if he curses, he won't curse you. Because the way that the world works is that when kids misbehave, the parents are the ones who are cursed. And look what kind of kids you raised. Now that, of course, Pitt puts Yaakov as a very young kid here. As Ki'ilu, Yaakov is like some sort of little shovav, and he breaks somebody's window playing baseball, and the, and the people come to the parents and say, pay for the window, and the kid's off the hook. A little bit strange, considering Yaakov is at least 40 at this point. All right. 
Now, the tour, very interesting. Most people are very familiar with the tour on Chumash, from his commentary that we call the Bala Tori Malachumash, Rabbi Yaakov Ben Asher, right, the beginning of the 14th century in Spain. Uh, but he wrote two commentaries. He wrote one very short commentary that's very popular and has Rosh Hashanah and Gematriot and all sorts of other fun stuff. But he also wrote a, re- a serious commentary, a longer commentary, shall we say, which is known as the Perush HaRoch, which is really in the mode of the Tosafists, even though he's, he's from moved to Spain, but his father was the Rosh from Germany, very much in the line of thinking of Tosafists. And look what he says. He quotes the Targum, right? That she, he was told in, she was told prophetically that he wouldn't be cursed. Which is like the, which is sort of like the Datsakani. He won't curse you. Who's he going to curse? He's going to curse whoever was behind it. Because he recognized that you, or he'll think, you were not smart enough to pull off something like this. So he'll, he'll, he'll curse the enabler. What is alaik It doesn't mean the curse, but the, the lack, meaning what's missing. Meaning, I'll fill in whatever you're missing financially if he, if he curses you and takes that away. Okay. The Sforno says something um, else, which is going to take us back to the Midrash and then back to where I, I eventually where I want to go with this. He says, It's my responsibility to take your place if something bad happens, if a curse happens. And they, uh, and they quote a Gemara, which you see underneath, about David. After Yoav killed Avner, David cursed Yoav. And the Gemara says something that's wild. It says, Everything that David cursed, and the whole string of it, there'll be all Zav and Mitzorah and Machzik Pelach. All those things actually ended up happening to one of David's descendants. The curse came back. And so the Sforno is, is, is connecting to that Gemara and saying the same thing that the Gemara says about, um, about the Klalot uh, and Yoav. She says, if he curses you, it's going to bounce back on me. I want to take you one more place. I've gone chronologically, and now we're in the 20th century. David Tzvi Hoffman, right? He says, contextually, what Unklu said is right, that it was based on the Nevoah, and what she really means to say is not, I'll take the curse. I know that there won't be a curse. It's not a literal translation. Now, by the way, that's an interesting question. Where was she ever promised prophetically that Yaakov wouldn't be cursed? All she was promised prophetically was that Yaakov and Esau will be two nations. They'll be at each other. They'll be confrontational and adversaries. And that the younger one will rule over the older one. So what does that mean? So it seems what the Targum means, and then what all the way down to Rabbi Zvi Hoffman in, in confirming the Targum seems to mean is, that the curse and the blessing, and this is to answer our first two questions, are not really a curse in that sense, but who's going to be in charge of the estate when Yitzhak dies? And that's why I give that whole introduction about what this whole bracha is about. Which means Yaakov saying if, that if he catches me, he's going to demote me to second position, where really I should be first position. 
And she's saying, I like you, as if to say, it'll be my job to re-elevate you to that position. And how does she know it won't happen at all? Because she was told, Rav Yavod Sayir, that the older one will work for the younger one, which means I know you're going to get the bracha to run the estate, and Esau will be subservient to you. You're assuming there's only one bracha. Right. It's, it's there's clear in this sugya that there's only one bracha. This particular bracha, there's only one of, and that's why there's a vying for who's going to get in there first. And when Yaakov leaves and Esau walks in, then, and Yitzhak says, ooh, too late. What's, what's too late mean? Right? So for this particular thing, there's only one bracha. And what is that bracha? It's the bracha of essentially naming the heir to the estate. So it's a financial only? I mean, uh, Yitzhak had this, uh, the spiritual... Uh, oh, that, that comes later. That's the bracha at the end of the parsha when Yitzhak knows it's Yaakov and he sends him away and he gives him birkat Avraham. Right? The birkat Avraham, of course, is El Shaddai V'Rechotcha, V'Yafrecha, V'Yabecha, V'Yitenachat Avraham, L'Rishtacha, Eretz Megurecha, Eretz Yisrael, kids, that's the bracha to Avraham. That goes to Yitzhak, that goes to Yaakov without any questions. The bracha v'yitein l'cha is the, the one that actually happens in this, in this parsha, in pasuk chavchet chavtet, is a bracha of wealth and power, which is essentially running the estate. And where are you seeing that, just to be clear? You were saying what? Meaning the, the idea that this is just the estate bracha. Because take a look at what the bracha he actually gives is. That's all he says, is you should have lots of wealth, and your family, the rest of the family, should be in, it should be uh, basically enslaved to you. And is that the first, but you're saying that, is it modeled after the Avraham blessing? No, not at all. It's a separate uh, bracha. It doesn't so exist. The first time we're seeing this. First time we're seeing it, right. That, that, and this is exactly what it is. And that's why there's only one. That's why there's only one bracha, because you can only name one person in charge of the estate. And that's, and that's supposed to be Esau, right? Now, we, we, to, we talked in previous times about why it is that when Yaakov gets it deceptively, he gets to keep it. I'm so I, but I want to come back to the ally. I think that the ally should be understood a little bit differently. And I think that what's tripping us up a little bit is the way that we think of the word ally in rabbinic Hebrew. In rabbinic Hebrew, when you say the word ally, and I'll give you an example of this from a sugya that, we were, that we're all familiar with. What's a neder? When it comes to a korban, what's a neder? Ally. <coughs> A neder is when you say alai. Alai, hare alai ola. As opposed to hare zu ola. What does hare alai ola mean? I am taking upon myself the responsibility of bringing ola. That's why if I pick one out and it dies, I got to get another one. Unlike an adab. Okay. So alai, we read rabbinically as meaning that it's, I'm accepting upon myself the responsibility. And that's drusha based on the pasuk, the chiper alav v'nislach Alav, it's like it's on you. But that's remember the rabbinic meaning of the word alai. What does it mean in the Torah? So take a look right here in Breshit, when Avimelech yells at Avraham for lying about Sarah and saying she's his sister. What have you done to us? And how did I sin to you? And this is the same verb, lahavi alai which is what Yit- Yaakov says here. What does he mean? You brought it upon me. It's not a lie in the sense that I'm taking responsibility. It's actually putting it on me. All right? 
I'm going to be a sinner. I will be a sinner if I would, I would have been a sinner if I would have done this. And the whole kingdom would have been guilty if, if this had happened. That's what he's yelling at Avram about. I think what's happening, and let's take a look back at his parshas. We have to look at it a little differently. Yaakov says to Rivka, right? Perhaps father will feel me and I'll be deceptive. I'll be deceptive. We understand what that means. It's very straightforward. I'm going to bring upon myself a curse. Instead of blessing me, he's going to curse me. What does she say? Her ally is responding to his ally. The, uh, the klala that's going to come on you is not going to be on you. It's going to be on me. Not because he's going to be mad at me because I set it up. Not because he's going to say whoever enabled you because you're not capable of doing it is, is the quote I'm cursing for a whole different reason. So let's look back. What is Rivka's interest in this entire affair? What does Rivka really want to accomplish in this entire affair? She wants to accomplish several things. On the surface level, superficially, she wants to accomplish helping Yaakov become the manager of the estate. But what does she know about Esau? What do we all know about Esau? Esau's got a short temper. Esau's not necessarily a bad guy in Chumash. He becomes a really bad guy later on. Chumash not necessarily a bad guy, but he certainly is somebody with a short fuse. And he's somebody with impulse control issues. Let's say it that way. He's about to sell everything for some from the soup. He's got problems with uh, delayed gratification, we'll say. All right, that's Asa. So what does she know is going to happen when Yaakov gets this bracha? She knows that Asa is going to blow up. What's Yaakov going to have to do? Yaakov's going to have to run away. Right? And go where? Back to Rivka's ancestral home. Remember, we talked about in the past, how does Rivka feel about her ancestral home? And about how she ended up here. Remember the whole Ish Evan tour? She was eager to leave. She wasn't so eager to leave. She, was, she felt deceived. She felt deceived as if like, you know, I, I thought I was marrying this guy, marrying another guy. So what has Rivka been working on this whole time? An opportunity to get Yaakov to go back there. And she happens to know that her brother Levan only has daughters. If Yaakov mar- marries the daughters, what does Yaakov become? He becomes the heir of Lavan's estate. Watch this Lollapalooza. Yaakov becomes the heir of Yitzchak's estate. He then has to run away and becomes an absentee owner because Yitzchak's going to kill him. And he goes and marries Lavan and becomes the heir of Lavan's estate. That's her thinking. So what will happen if he gets caught? If he gets caught, he loses everything. What, is he, what does he lose? First of all, he won't be the Bechor here. And then, how's Esau going to feel about him finding out that he tried to get in? You understand the problem? So what does she mean, Allah Kilat Chabani? Y'all be the one who's cursed. My whole plan will go down the tubes. Everything that I've been working on will go down the tubes. I've got more skin in this game than you do, Sonny. That's what she's saying. And that's why she says, Allah Kilat Chabani. You're concerned, I'm more concerned. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen because <clears throat> I've got more riding on this than you. That's all I like Which is to some extent hinted to in the Midrash here that says that when a person sins, who's actually cursed? His mother. But here there's a whole different reason. Not because just stum, we look at the adults and say, how could you raise such kids? Or because it's actually a curse to whoever brought you into the world 
that you behave badly, but because this is not just helping Yaakov. This is helping her. This whole process is helping her. It would have worked. It would have worked. Down the line, except for one thing, one variable, and you can never count on the unexpected, but you always have to count on the unexpected, is that later on in the years, Lavan has sons, and the sons grow up, and the sons get mad at Yaakov, and da 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 Jewish history marches on from there. But Rivka's plan was that Yaakov's going to go back, and he's going to inherit, and he's going to be the paterfamilias up there, and become a very big landowner up in Haran, We'll have two branches of the family, and he'll be in control of both of them. means if you get cursed, I'm the one who's cursed. I'm the one who gets, gets hurt. So don't worry. I'm going to cover all the bases here. And she does. And so far, the plan actually works. So well, hopefully, this a, a, a different perspective on Alaiki uh, Lachabani. Yeah? Why would uh, Rivka think that, uh, that Yaakov would inherit Lovan? I mean, Lovan was the first, the first line, no? Say again, why would she think? Do you think what? Why would she think that Yaakov, by marrying the daughters, would be yeah. the heir apparent? Because there's only daughters, there's no sons right now in the family. And we see that because when he gets there, there's a girl leading the flock. How come the sons aren't out there? Right? And so she's going to get Lavan back, Kilo. Right? And that's, by the way, hinted to in the Rashi in the beginning of next week's Parsha, when Yaakov gets there and he meets Rachel, what does he call, say about himself? He says, I am your father's brother. He says, not your father's brother, your father's nephew. Rashi says that, because what he, what he, he said to her, I want to marry you. She said, fine, but father is very tricky. What does he say back? I can be just as tricky as he is. He's wrong. He ends up getting out-tricked. But, uh, and so this is, I believe, Rivka's plan which is why it's a greater curse for her if he gets caught than for him. That's why he says, I like Kilat Chamanik. 